Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice podcast. It is so great to be with you. I'm Dr. Fujian Zane. I'm a psychotherapist, author, and the originator of the Awareness Integration Theory. A heartfelt chat is about what matters most in our life, our minds, our thoughts, feelings, actions, relationships, and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. Um, I want to share with you some of the books that I have written with some of my colleagues, and um, I think they're great for um, the holidays and the new year and, you know, starting the new year with uh, the ex experience of, lear of learning and learning new material and uh, knowing how to be with um, your children, pretty much. The book is Intentional Parenting, a Practical Guide to Awareness Integration Theory by uh, myself, by Dr. Nicole Jaffery and Dr. Eileen Manukian. This book is for parents, grandparents, teachers, um, anybody who's working with, with children. And we go through every single stage of childhood all the way to adulthood and uh, give you practical tools from the awareness integration theory in how to work um, with your children. You'll be amazed of um, how much new information um, is there from you know cognitive development, emotional development, physical development, and what are some of the issues on each one of those stages of life and through the glance of the um, awareness integration, what is it that you can actually do and how to talk about it with your children. And for all of you wonderful coaches and psychotherapists who are trying to uh, learn awareness integration theory and be certified in it, this is the book, Awareness Integration Therapy. It was forwarded by Dr. Jeffrey Zai. Um, clear the past, create a new future, and live a fulfilled life. And guess what happens when you read this? You are going to be able to utilize awareness integration therapy with your client. Now, this um, is being taught at the uh, Cal State Long Beach and in the university where um, it's being uh, taught also in the daycares at this point. We're going into high schools and junior high and the app is going to be out in a couple of months. So we're going to need a lot of therapists and coaches who know this, who can work from this model. So you need to be certified. You can call me. We're going to have our next um, course starting at February 10th, 11th, 12th. It's a three-day um, online course. So please, please, please let me know so I can give you the information that you need in order to join um, an amazing group of therapists and coaches. In this episode, I'm excited to chat with Coach John, Jonathan McLernan is a weight loss coach and emotional eating expert who has lost hundreds, uh, hundred pounds, actually 120 pounds. Um, from nanotechnology researcher to a Navy Marine engineer to a globe-trotting nomad, Coach John spent most of his life running from his true calling until one question changed his life. Now he's on a mission to help others lose weight for good. Leaves the BS diets in the rear view mirror. Now with what he calls a freedom nutrition coaching, he marries the science of metabolism with the psychology of behavioral change and the compassion of human connection. 
to create life-changing transformation with his client. You can find him at johnmclernan.com. And um, I hope that you enjoy our conversation. I really enjoyed it. It's a it's a soft but very fruitful and to-the-point conversation about what it takes for each and every one of us to become aware, to be compassionate, to see our body and who we are in a light of love and how to give ourselves from that love. Um, give yourself this love also. Subscribe to my podcast, my YouTube channel, and connect with me through my website, fujanzain.com any of the social media um, and connect with me. I'd love to talk to you and let me know how I can be a support to you. Now, if you are someone who loves doing um, self-help, uh, the book Life Reset is the actual book about awareness integration theory that you can go through the exercises yourself and go through all the major areas of your life and really work through. And this is, you know, we've done a lot of study and research um, about this awareness integration. And even just by journaling, just by journaling and nothing else, uh, people have found the astonishing result of raising their self-esteem and self-efficacy and self-agency, uh, minimizing their depression um, symptoms and anxiety. So get the book, Life Reset, The Awareness Integration Path to the Life You Want and, and share with me, email me and let me know how it was for you. I love to hear from you. Now, without further ado, here it is, Jonathan McLaren. Well, hello, Jonathan McLernan. Welcome to my show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Um, you're a weight loss coach. Yeah. Um, I need you. So <laughs> just say off the bat. Um, you went through some uh, matters in your life, which yeah. it took you from gaining a lot of weight up to 300 pounds <laughs> yes to yeah. working with yourself and uh, you lost 100 pounds and then um you're supporting people you're yeah. what you went through you're supporting people in how they can go through um but because you're you know your background and you know um you brought some of the concepts of uh, your studies and what you've learned about your own body and um how you've created a result into um, a system for your coaching. Yeah, I, th I think I take a different approach to weight loss than than most people do. And I, I think maybe as a whole, we're starting to see the industry kind of shift because what we're recognizing is that this idea of like a 90 day or a 12 week or, or these sort of short term programs aren't really addressing, like I think we as a society, we, we're reasonably good at losing weight. We're not very good at keeping it off. And so that's, and that's the thing that I struggle with. You know, I went through a traumatic experience. Um, I became a binge eating food addict. That was my, my trauma coping mechanism, essentially. And it wasn't really a deliberate choice. It was just happened to be how I, how I dealt with it. Cause I, I didn't know any better really and gained a lot of weight. And that sort of began this journey of trying to figure out, well, I thought if I would lose the weight, cause I really started to hate myself and hate my body because of, I went from being athletic to being obese. 
that was really difficult. And for long time, for, for, for quite some time, I was even in denial, like accepting my present physical condition of being like obese. And I think that in and of itself really made a lot of my weight loss efforts, um, very, very difficult and, and nothing would stick. And I was, I probably went five or six years of trying to lose this weight and, and thinking if I could just lose the weight, maybe I'll be happy and, and so on. And just not finding answers. And I thought, how could I be like as educated as I am? And I'm, I'm pretty intelligent. And yet I can't seem to like lose weight and make it stick. There's something missing and I don't know what I'm missing. And so it was this really uh, frustrating place to be. And I call it now living in the gap. And that's the gap between what we know and what we do. And so I began trying to understand, well, how do we bridge that gap? So what was the traumatic experience that you have that put you into a place? Like, um, I love what you said, which is um, at times it appears that maybe we don't have the knowledge, but then mm -hmm. when we gain the knowledge and actually create result, somehow we lose the perspective of the knowledge and that we've created result. And we put ourselves in a position of just kind of like, you know, I know it, I know it, but it's going to be a little, it's okay, it's okay, it's a little, it's a little. And then there's this, you know, negotiation and bargaining that keeps happening. I know, I know, but the behavior doesn't mm, yeah. show. And then we keep, you know, gaining and gaining and gaining. And um, we do this yo-yo effect, which is it comes to one place in our life, which is that's it. Like, no, it, this is no longer a negotiable and um and sometimes you know just i work also with addiction for a long time which is like you keep you know raising the bar and then the negotiation keeps uh mm -hmm. moving forward and at one point you've lost you the concept of even the negotiation that you do with yourself and then you declare defeat and then you go through you know all of the experience that you go <laughs> yeah. through defeat in a sense and then yeah. you know something gets like okay that's disgusting no more and or a health reason yeah. or something that like motivates us or forces us, forces us to get motivated yeah. to create a change um so it seemed like you went through a traumatic uh construct and then went through some of the bargaining, but at one point you, you know, you, you figure this out. So can you share mm -hmm. with us what yeah. happened to you and what were the process of figuring this out and then putting it together? Yeah. So I was living in South Africa. My wife and I had spent a number of years traveling around the world. Um, and one of the stops that we had was in South Africa and down there I was, I was attacked by four men and they tried to beat me to death. And so that in itself obviously was very traumatic to go through and and I've, uh, nobody's really emotionally prepared to go through that myself included you know in the beginning whenever like in the aftermath of that there's there's like the the shock and 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 then the, you know we're strong and we're not gonna let them you know win and all this kind of stuff um and then sort of the reality of of trauma and ptsd starts to set in and the flashbacks start and and the the sort of uncontrollable like anger and and all these overwhelming emotions and intrusive thoughts and and I, the way that i i heard it described and i really like this is like my head didn't feel like a safe place to be like my mind didn't feel like a safe place to be because there's all this stuff going on and somewhere in there there's a part of me going like this isn't me and i don't want this here but it's all in there, all this. And, and I didn't understand what was happening. And so, you know, the way that, as you know, the way that our brain works, like in, in a very simple sense, it's like, I feel, I feel awful inside. 
I eat junk food and temporarily I feel better. And now my brain has learned a trick in a sense that I've learned a coping skill when I can't deal with what's happening in my brain. Cause we can't just turn our brain off. It runs 24 hours a day. The world's most amazing supercomputer. Mm-hmm. Well, then I have to create, like I have to start using an emotional anesthetic. And for me, it was food. That was how I would, would interrupt wherever it was that I was because I didn't want to act out on these urges and these impulses that I felt, but it, you know, it gets exhausting just trying to, just trying to sort of rein in and control these things. And so I just began turning to food like more and more and more as a way of maybe not, not even dealing with like what it was that I had experienced in sort of the trauma or the aftermath of that, because I really didn't understand it. So that was, that was kind of my struggle for, well, really a number of years. And then I took, I took like my understanding of weight loss, you know, sort of calories in calories out, you know, get more active, that kind of stuff. And so I would, I would just be using these different tactics or strategies. You know, I would, I'm a former like research scientist and nanotechnology uh, researcher. And so I would try to apply myself at a very scientific level, a very data-driven, you know, numerical statistical level, creating spreadsheets and mapping out my plans. And I'm going to eat this food, not this food and this one and this many calories and this time of day and trying to like wrestle with the details while entirely avoiding what really needed to be dealt with. And that was the trauma that I went through and the ensuing, the relationship, how my relationship to myself and to my body had had shifted and the emotional dependence on food that I had uh, that I had developed as a result of what I went through but being male I think and and I'm a child of the 80s um you know I don't think I really grew up with this understanding about what it means to even process or regulate emotions like it was like yeah we get mad and that's the safe masculine emotion all these other ones like what do we yeah I don't know what to do with them. So I'll just numb them and bury them and hide them. And that was, that was kind of the pattern that I was stuck in. Yeah. The other ones are the weak emotions and the anger. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's the, that's the strong masculine emotion. And <laughs> I didn't really understand that it's actually okay. Even as a healthy masculine male to have these other emotions and that like burying them, suppressing them was really only making my life more difficult and sort of perpetuating this cycle of, self-loathing and shame and guilt and so on. And and it's like the only way I, I call it like when I would have a binge eating episode, then I would like beat myself up and that was paying the price for my crime. You know, I've, I've, I've done this thing now, now I have to punish myself. And that in a sense was how I was letting myself off the hook without actually addressing the behavior pattern that needed to change. And it was about, well, 2017 when, when I, I hired a coach, and I thought I was hiring him to help me look better. So I was still s- stuck on this. I need to change my physical appearance in order to, well, I wasn't even thinking like love myself because I wasn't thinking about self-love just to stop hating myself. Essentially, that was, that was sort of where I thought I could get to. If I could just get to this place where, where I looked physically good, maybe I would stop hating myself. Essentially, I wouldn't be quite as miserable. And he worked with me in a very different way that I didn't, uh, I didn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. And, and that really changed, it changed my life. Okay. Now we're waiting for what is the anticipation? And- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I say that he, he, so the beauty of coaching, coaching is a very human experience and, and I love it. Obviously I'm, I'm a coach and I'm a mentor. I, I love doing this. You know, this wasn't an information problem. I had spent so much time like studying and researching and collecting yeah. data. This was just a form of procrastination. Yeah, it's not, it's usually not an information because we have enough information and I really don't think that information has really changed 
yes, there's a couple of times there's, you know, sure. there's an added value to it, but uh, you know, the information is pretty simple. Our, our, our biology hasn't changed in the last right. 40 years, really dramatically. Our environment has changed significantly our surrounding food environment and so on. And the availability of what I call emotional anesthetics, that's certainly changed, but, but who we are and how our body works really hasn't changed. The fundamentals of a healthy lifestyle are, are relatively simple. And I say simple because it's not necessarily easy to put into practice, especially in the world that we live in. But the why I love coaching is a when we try to create change, it involves becoming vulnerable. It involves examining the things that we struggle with, seeing our weaknesses, seeing ourselves as we truly are, as opposed to maybe the sort of image that we've built up. Well, I think our primal brain really doesn't like that because it feels very unsafe to do that. Now, when we connect ourselves to another human being who we trust and who has our back and who we know isn't going to judge us, it then becomes safe to become vulnerable. And that's why coaching in the age of Google with all the infinite information, coaching is still a thing because we need that human connection to truly go through this process of becoming vulnerable in order to create change. I call it wrestling with my demons in the light, you know? <laughs> I also think that, you know, having an accountability buddy, um, mm, it's, yes. uh, it's amazing because I think that, you know, we've, we're used to either having an authority telling us what to do, which a part of us usually likes to rebel against it. Yes. Um, <laughs> or, you know, part of them, the internal rebellion is that, you know, we won't even listen to our own internal authority and, yes. or we just figure I can, again, like bargain and it's okay. Um, yeah. So sometimes having and choosing an accountability buddy out there as a coach or, you know, someone who is our friend and we're, you know, taking something together, I it, it really does help. It takes the issue from internal to external to something, yeah. between, yeah. you know, takes the shame away, takes a lot of, um, you know, unnecessary, let's say, conversation that happens in our head away. And I also think that there's a, Every one of us loves validation. So when mm. you do something and in the eye of another person who, uh, you know, we've assigned or we've requested from uh, that, you know, I did it, I did it. And we get this validation from the external yeah. part. It's like, oh, good for you. I think that yeah. also helps us to, to move forward. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, it's a lot easier to swipe away a notification on an app versus coming to a conversation like this where we're going to talk about you know what I did or didn't do and things that I struggled with there's there's something it's a lot harder for us to disappoint another human being than to just disregard you know because there's plenty of apps even out there for weight loss that are you know but again because we can just swipe that notification the other part of it is when we hire somebody like I, I consider money to be a medium it's just a placeholder of value essentially when we invest in hiring somebody, there is now a cost to our inaction. In other words, I don't want to have wasted this money that I've spent hiring this coach. Therefore, it's costing me to not do something. And when something is free, when, it, when inaction doesn't cost us, we're less likely to move forward. And so for me, hiring this coach, like that was a part of it. I hired him for a year. And the first four months, like I was trying to convince him that I was an absolute failure, useless, worthless, hopeless. I'm never going to succeed. You're never going to successfully work with me. And it's like, he could see through all of that to see like who I am. 
Mm-hmm. And it was, and at, at times it was almost like unnerving a little bit. I was like, I'm sitting here trying to convince you that I'm a failure and a hopeless loser and you should just give up on me. And you're refusing to because you see something there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, at, at a certain point in time, he asked me the question that I really think changed my life. And and this is the 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 power of someone who understands you asking a, a well-timed question yes. when I was in the position to actually receive it and reflect on it. So he asked me, so Jonathan, if you make a list of all the things that you love and value, how far down that list do I go before I see your name? So for me, I wasn't on the list. Wow. So we would often think, oh, I'm somewhere near the bottom. It's like, no, 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 I wasn't on the list. Yeah. It it didn't occur to me that, you should, that, that I should that. be on the list. Yeah, of things I love and value. And I was kind of taken aback. I was like, because now he's confronting very gently and compassionately, but confronting a view that I held about myself. What? I don't love, like I was the proverbial set myself on fire to keep other people warm. That was how I saw the world. Like, and, and love myself. Mm-hmm. Ugh, what? No, this is, this is, I don't do this. Mm-hmm. And so I had to sit and ruminate with this, like, where do you even start after 35, 35 years of like not even contemplating self-love mm-hmm. all those years of patterns and beliefs built up. And now I'm like, uh, I don't even know what to do in this moment. And so we, st- I had to learn self-love, which is a really funny thing. It seems now I look back, I don't think twice about it, but back then, I mean, it was this dramatic thing. Like, I don't even know where, to- how do I learn to love myself? What is it? I thought it was bubble baths and chocolate and candles or something like I didn't understand what it really was. Yeah, I do agree with you that sometimes self-love, um, it uh, appears as self-importance or it mm. appears as self-indulgence or, um, you know, we sometimes we have no idea what self-love actually looks like. Yeah. And we when like you said, when somebody says self-love, we think, OK, let me go get a massage. Mm. Half of the time, I'm either sleeping the massage or I'm thinking about you know, the task. Yes, yeah, yeah. Completely dissociated from my body while somebody is trying to take care of me. Yeah. Uh, so the notion of self-love sometimes it does. You're right. Gets construed with other things. So for for us, it started with brushing my teeth, and that's probably a habit that most people do without thinking about it, that. We would never really connect that to self-love, but really, this is an act of investing in myself and my future. Because now, if I didn't think I was worth it, I wouldn't bother brushing my teeth. But for some reason, so there was like this little spark here. It's like, we can nurture that. Let's reframe this habit that you do. This is you investing in yourself. This is actual self-love versus indulging in yourself in a destructive way. So then we just started to build on that. And so... I didn't learn, I guess, self-love maybe in the way that we might expect where, or the way that I thought anyways, but it was about actually like investing myself and reframing things that I do as this is an investment in yourself. And I I like the idea. It's kind of like, because then I think about this, I'm like, well, how do we change a belief? Because really, you know, we could say a belief is a thought that we hold to be true regardless of its factual accuracy. It's a thought that we hold to be true in our minds. And so underpinning everything I did, was probably this belief that I wasn't worthy to even receive love, let alone self-love. 
And so how do we go about changing that? Well, if we try to, if someone tries to jam an entirely dramatically different perspective in my face, of course, I'm going to reject that. Right. Because it feels like it's too much of a departure from myself and my sense of identity. And so my primal brain in particular goes, ah, that's not me. That's not safe. I can't keep you safe. <clears throat> so we reject that. But instead, we've kind of slipped in under the radar, this little action here that you're doing, and just kind of chipped away at it little by little. And every little tiny action was like one small step away from the central belief that I'm not worthy of self-love. And then over time, you know, we looked at like my relationship to food and how I was using food and so on and so forth. And just piece by piece, bit by bit, it wasn't this dramatic lightning bolt from heaven kind of moment, but rather this gradual process of shifting my relationship to myself by changing the beliefs I held about myself. And that in turn ended up translating into, of course, changing my relationship to food and how I was using food and viewing food and so on. And, and it's like the weight started to come off, but it didn't feel like I was doing something super restrictive or dramatic or things like that. It's that I didn't need food in the same way anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, you use it as a fuel. You didn't use it as a numbing device in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. You it for what it what the purpose of it was versus um, yeah. kind of like abusing it. Well, and, and you know, it's interesting you mentioned fuel because one of the things I, I, I don't say very much is food is just fuel. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't say that because now I, I work with people around emotional eating. Yeah. But a lot of times people mistake that to think that I want to remove all emotion from the eating experience. And I don't. No, we have definitely have a hell of a lot of pleasure. <laughs> we have we have culture, we have like celebration, we have history. Yeah. I mean, human beings have celebrated through feasting since the beginning of time. But of course, yeah. we didn't <clears throat> play, didn't... party, yeah. uh, socialization, enjoyment, and definitely good taste. But it looks different now. And I think that's the, the shift is for me, enjoyment is not about the volume that I consume. It's not about as much as possible because I feel guilty about consuming it. It's about taking my time to be present with whatever I'm eating. If I'm choosing to eat for indulgence, it is a conscious decision where I, I acknowledge I'm choosing to indulge in this. And now I'm going to eat it in a way where I actually give myself permission to enjoy it. And generally, like, and, and really in a practical sense, my rule of thumb is kind of, if, if I'm going to eat something indulgent, I will generally eat that after I've eaten like a nourishing meal, like one that, that meets my nutritional needs, because then I'm not eating it to satisfy hunger. I'm eating it purely to enjoy it. And then I'm giving myself permission to do that. And I actually end up consuming a lot less than when I felt guilty about it and felt like I had to eat as much as possible because it was going to go back into the restrictive drawer or the, the not permitted drawer for like the next X amount of time. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing also from you is that there's a process that you're going through where you are becoming more aware of your thought and emotion and the behavior. And yeah. when you see that the when you see that that belief is not any lo longer serving you, when you see mm. that there's an emotion that you need to honor, and there's so many ways of honoring that emotion, and it's no longer just food. Yeah. Um, and then bringing the purpose of food, whether it's fuel or whether it's nutrition or whether it's, um, you know, pleasure for that moment, whatever the purpose of using um, and being with food is, uh, all of those come through. And then on with all of it, because it is a medium that goes into your body, you're also looking at, um, you know, is this 
whatever act that I'm doing with this material called food, is it um, loving me as it, you know, yeah. as an act of love as I'm, you know, putting it in my mouth and chewing it and enjoying it or uh, that yeah. how much or what I'm eating is, you know, it might have the pleasure, but it doesn't necessarily serve me in a bigger aspect of loving me. So uh, it's, it's like the process of the awareness, which brings you to a different behavior. And because mm -hmm. awareness brings you to the behavior, then what you're also seeing is a sustainable construct versus, all right, you know, I'm just going to do this crash diet or I'm going to do the structure yeah. but because I'm just doing the structure in order to lose weight and all the other parts of it are not there, that it's just going to, you know, it's going to go away because it's <laughs> not, it's not, it's not set up um, to ask these questions and see whether it's about my, loving myself or not. <clears throat> yeah, that yeah. Me, you know what the impact would be. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in the work that I do, so my company is called Freedom Nutrition Coaching. And that name came from a client who said to me, I don't want to live in nutrition prison anymore. Mm -hmm. I was like, ooh, yeah. Like we put ourselves into these dietary straitjackets or things we, we 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 create this tenuous relationship with food where it's the enemy and we're fighting against it and and so on and it's like yeah we want to get to the place and it's a process to get there where you know i can have a glass of eggnog and i don't feel this internal tug of war of torment inside of me when i'm sipping on a glass of eggnog but i'm also not chugging it straight from the bottle you know I, i'm sipping away to enjoying every every sip <clears throat> And so I like to say that I try to pair the like the psychology of behavior change, so understanding how our brain works to create behavior change, with the science of metabolism because it still matters that you know how you know there's still elements of this that matter. I still do work with people in the realm of nutrition, but it's I often see nutrition as a cover story. And then the glue that holds it all together is really the compassion of human connection. Mm -hmm. And and so for me, compassion is the central tenet of the work that I do. And I like to define it really as, well, empathy 2.0, I guess we could say, but <laughs> we, I, I would have viewed in the past that compassion was weakness because I thought that compassion meant enabling unhelpful behaviors, but that's, that's untrue. You know, let's just say, um, maybe for example, uh, you're drinking wine on a Tuesday afternoon and for some reason I drop by your place and it's, you know, mid afternoon Tuesday and you're halfway through a bottle of wine sitting on your couch, kind of looking in, in a bit in, in rough shape. You know, this is of course a hypothetical scenario, but now if I was to just happen to drop by and see you and I was to say like, what are you doing? Are you stupid? You know, better than this. Why are you doing this? Immediately that tone, that sort of line of questioning, well, that's created this sense of being judged. And, and, you know, when we, as humans, when we feel judged, doesn't really inspire us to change our behavior, it inspires us to get better at hiding our behavior so we don't feel judged and get caught. So judgment doesn't really help us. Now, on the other hand, though, if I come to you and I say, well, you're already halfway down the bottle of wine, you've had a rough day, you might as well finish the whole thing. That's enabling, yeah. That's enabling. I'm not helping you move forward. And so really for me, I view compassion as the middle road. How'd you get here? What's going on? You know, what, what problem is this solving for you? Because clearly this behavior is addressing a problem. So let's understand why you're doing it. 
And then that awareness, that compassionate awareness is what we can use. This desire to understand versus to judge or enable is what allows us to start creating change. There's this, um, and, and it seems like that compassion not only can be towards yourself, but you're also sharing mm. a, an example of how it can be for someone else, which um, in the eyes of a compassionate coach, obviously, you know, we learn how to treat ourselves because sometimes yeah. when we are um, nasty to ourselves, and that, oh, man, has yeah. been, you know, that has been a way of being, it's very hard to just take it from a book and say, okay, you know, I'll do that because it doesn't, you don't have the experience. You might have yeah. it in your head. You just don't have it in the experiential realm. And being with, a, you know, a compassionate coach, a therapist, what a lot of what that relationship does, it's that alliance allows you to experience mm. the concept of um, some being held in a space of love and empathy and compassion. And when yeah. you experience that, then you can also give it to yourself. You know, you could, yeah. you could remember it. You know, I have, I remember words from my therapist that was always in my head. My clients keep telling me that they have my words in their head. Yeah, You know, yeah. it all kind of snuck in um, after experiencing it. And then they took it and it's like, all right, now I'm going to borrow it. And I'm going to, you know, when I'm supposed to be scolding myself as I remembered it, then now I I remember um, John in my head. I remember yeah, yeah. John in my head. And it's a different voice um, mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. that allows us now to create that compassion, which goes in toward kind of like loving, um, accepting yourself as is, and then from there to move forward a little bit. Um, I was going to say, I think you highlighted something really, really important there. And that is like in my experience and maybe in your experience or your client's experience as well, it's like, I had to kind of experience compassion and I experienced compassion from my coach, which then led me to the place of learning self-compassion because now I understood what it was like, but it took somebody modeling that for me. And then, and then once I learned self-compassion, it changed how I interacted with others in my life as well, because now I have this new lens or perspective. I, I was flying back from um, Florida uh, yesterday, we, we went to the Evolution of Psychotherapy Conference, which all the, you know, amazing uh, psychologists and yeah, psychotherapy cool. people who created theories were there. And coming back at the airport, it was funny because there was this um, picture of an elder white woman who uh, was going like this, um, you know, in the picture. And beside it, it says, so, you know, it was a picture of like a you know, like a mother who was going to scold you and tell you something. And then uh, beside it said, um, now behave. I have raised you better than that, not to behave. And it was just like, you would see this and it was, it was funny. It was uh, hilarious in a way of uh, requesting for people to you know, to behave as they were going into the plane, because I guess there've been, you know, oh, right, in right, a sense right, yeah. of, you know, people like drinking and, you know, being rowdy and whatever. And, and um, the notion of it, of a, you know, of like a, a mother who is actually disciplining you with a picture coming and saying, you know, I, I raised you better than that and you better behave. But then the other side of it is what we were just talking, that that voice of, you know, a disciplinary shame producing um, 
concept is part of the discipline versus the compassion and loving side, which is, mm -hmm. you know, bringing you and saying, you know, you can love yourself. You don't have to scold yourself. You can love yourself. And uh, you don't have to shame yourself. You could love yourself while you create some motivation for you to move along and go to the next level uh, versus, you know, what we've learned most of us from childhood, which is a shaming based discipline. Well, I, I, I don't think we've ever been able to beat ourselves up into being a better person. Right. <laughs> and so I love asking the question for my clients too, because many of them struggle with this this beating themselves up and this negative self-talk. And I said, well, let's get curious. You know, I, I love compassionate curiosity is like my favorite tool. Let's, <clears throat> you know, how's this working for you? Is this behavior pattern helping you get the results you're looking for? Yes. And it's like, well, no, you've been struggling with this for four decades and it still has after, if we tried anything for 40 years, you know, I often work with, interestingly, I often work with ladies over, over like 50 mm -hmm. and, and I, I sometimes like smile because I, I never, I'm, I'm 40. I never would have thought that in the work that I was doing, that I would end up working with like very often, like professional executive women over 50. Like, how did that happen? But it seems to be this really interesting mix that works well, and they seem to be drawn to my messaging. And I'm like, well, this is it. It, it just works well. Um, I couldn't have picked it though. But just just understanding, like, is it is it serving you? And for if for 40 years it hasn't produced a result, like anything that we tried for 40 years, if it wasn't producing a result, I, we would have abandoned oh, that yeah. a long time earlier. Yeah, you know. And so yeah. and, and but I think just creating like creating that awareness, like oh, like that that oh crap moment where you're like. You're right. This isn't producing results. Well, now what do I do? It was right. like when my coach asked me about like the, the, the list of things. What do I do now? I don't even know what to do because this is this has literally been my pattern for, for the entirety of my life, you know? Yeah. Since we don't know anything else, we keep using utilizing the same thing. Or because it worked uh, you know, when I was 20, I'm trying to work it at 50, but it's not. It's not the <laughs> yeah. same metabolism, it's not the same body, and you gotta move with the body with what is versus you know what I thought. Okay, you know, at five years of age, I could eat this much chocolate, but at 50, I can't eat this much chocolate mm -hmm. and imagine that I'm gonna get the same thing. John, um, Jonathan, anything that we haven't touched upon and you really, really want mm. everybody to know. Well, I think, I think the, the, the sort of psychological, the emotional, the mental part of it really, really matters. But I do think we don't ever want to lose sight of the physical reality as well, or I call it making peace with our biological reality. Mm -hmm. So that is, so because I've been obese, I have to manage my weight for the rest of my life. If I don't want to be obese again. And this is not this is not me developing a negative relationship with myself or my body, but it's recognizing a certain biological reality. I've carried the I carry these extra fat cells with me that my body, you know, produced when I was obese. They are they're shrunken and they're more or less empty, but they're there, waiting to be refilled at any point in time. So we have this wonderful famine biology that has allowed human beings to survive centuries and millennia of like food insecurity. But we now live in the 21st century, this modern feast world with an abundance of basically addictive junk food. And so at a certain point we do, and this world's not going to change anytime soon. The availability of like, you know, video games and junk food and alcohol and all these things isn't going to change. So we, there's a certain, we have to make peace with a certain reality that we live in and recognize that we can't just brush that aside. Um, but we, we want to make sure that we remember that as well in this process. Beautiful. 
Jonathan McLernan, everyone. Um, go to johnmclernan.com to find him and um, hire him as your coach. And <laughs> also coach for other businesses. It's not just coaching for, yeah. although today we only spoke about this area of your coaching, but you also coach um, people who want to create online uh, businesses yeah. um, and you coach them in how to deliver that and create yeah. uh, successful businesses. Well, we have such a need for more people in this space. We often think there's too many. I'm like, no, it's look at our health. We need more help. And I can only work with so many people myself in right. my nutrition coaching capacity. If I can help other people do this, we can be a, you know, a greater contributor towards uh, solving this problem. So thank you for being on my show. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Same here. And for all of you who are out there, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye-bye.